4, at the end of the chapter, verses 25 and 26, or you can look on the back of your sermon outline in your program and you'll see a number of scriptures we will reference this morning, but our text comes from the end of a, an actually neglected chapter of the Bible, Genesis 4, 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also was a, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So far the reading of God's word. We had some guests last week right here in the sanctuary for our worship service, uh, two folks from North Carolina. And they had wondered if there were any Christians at all in New York. And they uh, found us online, and they were glad to uh, come and worship with us. And after the service, they said, we're just in town for the weekend. We were delighted to be with you. Let me tell you, this was an amazing experience, the woman said. She said, where I come from, everybody goes to church, but everybody in my church looks alike. And I met a Hispanic woman. And I met an Asian gentleman. And I met someone from Brazil. And I met some Caucasians. She said it was like heaven here in New York. And her husband said, for me, what I loved was the worship. I loved the singing and the music. He said, especially at the end of the, of the service, when it was like everybody was locked into the Lord like a tractor beam at the end of the service last week. And I said, well, would you pray for us here in New York where uh, less than 1% of the population is in a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church on a Sunday morning? And she said, would you pray for us in North Carolina where 45% of the population is in a church on Sunday morning, but a lot of people don't know why they're there. They were so happy to worship with us. I love our worship. And if you're our guest today, forgive me for boasting. Forgive me for going on just a little bit about what a joy it is when we gather and our musical team assists us to unite our hearts and voices to the Lord. And listen, my friends, when your kids say to you, do we have to go to church? You say to them, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. We get to go as a church family and join with our brothers and sisters and call on the name of the Lord. Because this is why we're created. This is our high and holy privilege as creatures made by God and as human beings redeemed by God. We get the privilege of coming into His presence and praising His name as we call on the Lord. And today, I just want to challenge you this morning to live your life as a worshiper of God 
in the midst of a world that ignores him. Can I say that again? I want to challenge you to live your life as a worshiper of God in the midst of a world that ignores him. The first time that it's recorded in the Bible that they assembled to call on the name of the Lord in worship is in our text at the end of Genesis chapter 4. I told you it's a neglected passage of the Bible. Why is that? It's because chapter 1 is so spectacular, the creation of the universe. And chapter 2 is so beautiful as God sets Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the paradise is so lovely. And chapter 3 is so horrific as Adam and Eve suffer the seduction of Satan and they fall into sin and are vomited out of the garden not to return. You're just exhausted after the first three chapters of Genesis. And so people have tended to miss what follows in chapter 4 and at the end of chapter 4. What happens is that the world is divided. And the world is divided between those who call on the name of the Lord and those who live their life on their own terms. Sounds a lot like our world today, doesn't it? Two cultures emerge the culture of the godless, the culture of the godly. The conflict began when God cursed the serpent, and he says there's going to be a battle going on between you, the serpent, and you will hit, bite the heel of the, of the woman's seed, who will eventually be who? Jesus Christ. And he will crush your head. But the conflict emerges right at the beginning, and then it seeps its way into humanity as humanity is divided. And we find that there is this battle between Eve's two sons. Does anybody remember their names? Cain and Abel. Do you know the story? And Eve gives birth to these two boys, and one of them becomes a murderer. Why? Because Cain gets jealous. God accepts his brother Abel's sacrifice, but the offering of his own labor... Abel brings a sacrifice for his own sins. He knows he cannot clean himself. He offers the innocent sacrifice of another for his own sins. But Abel just shows up and he presents the fruit of his own labor. That is not accepted uh, by God. And as you know from the New Testament, we learn that we are not saved by our performance, are we? Our performance falls short of the glory of God. And we must look to another for salvation, for restoration. And that's what Abel understood. Cain did not. And Cain is so furious that his superior performance is not what is pleasing to God, that he is furious with his brother and he murders him. But God does not destroy the earth at this time. And by God's grace, what is called common grace. It's an important term for you to realize. By His common grace, God extends the life of the planet and of humanity. And Cain has three sons. 
And the first son raises livestock. He's the father of agriculture and shepherds. The second son is the father of the flute and the harp. And out of his line come artists and musicians. And the third son forges iron, and he is the father of industry in the world. And the the line of Cain grows. The city of man develops. It is legitimate because God wants the earth sustained. And yet, as one of my favorite writers, Meredith Klein, says, the city of man is legitimate, but it is bestial. Right? It's a war out there. It's like living among a pack of wolves that are frightening and snarling. And the world continues down generation to generation until a man named Lamech. Anybody ever heard of Lamech? Lamech emerges. And he writes a song just before our text. He writes this song. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventyfold. What a song. And Lamech exults and rejoices in his polygamy in his murder, in his revenge. And he is proud of his sexual conquests, and he is proud of his violence. This is the world of music in many corners. And it's at this point that the book of Genesis introduces the second line, another line. Abel has been murdered, but God gives Eve another son, and what is his name? His name is Seth. And his line continues down through Noah, down through Jesus Christ, to us today. And Seth's people call on the name of the Lord in contrast to the ravaging pack of wolves out in the world there. These people, Cain's people, are the Yahweh people. We sang a song earlier in the service from the Jesus people, right? Did you hear that? Throwback to the 1960s. The Jesus people. These are the Yahweh people. That's the Hebrew name for God. Acknowledging that He is sovereign. Acknowledging themselves as His servants. Calling on His name to save them in salvation and to be their righteous judge and to protect them and to provide for them. Yahweh, we call on Your name says Seth and his people. In the dark days of the medieval church, when the church was so corrupt, Martin Luther wondered, will the church ever emerge again? Will she ever rise again in fidelity to God? So much nonsense in the church of the medieval ages. And Luther loved our text for today. For he says that as Seth emerges in the midst of all the darkness, there was planted a church that called on the name of the Lord. 
That's point number one. There are those who call on the name of the Lord. There are those who don't. Families who commune with God and are oriented to Him and those who do not. Where are you in the divide? That's point one. We, point two, we want to be those who join with Seth and not with Lamech. We want to join with Seth and call on the name of the Lord. This phrase you have heard already from Michael Wick and from our scripture reading and from many of our songs, this phrase, call on the name of the Lord, is a a phrase that then blossoms and amplifies throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. But the seed is here in Genesis 4, 26. He calls on the name of the Lord. What happens when you call on His name? Just a couple of things here in this second point. Pay attention here. When you call on the name of the Lord, the first thing that happens is He puts His name on you. The second thing that happens is you call on the name of the Lord for salvation from your sin and your misery. And then the third thing, you call on the name of the Lord in order to serve the Lord. You are saved in order to serve. And then, lo and behold, in that first church with Seth, you are saved to worship. And this is what happens when we worship. We call on the name of the one who has put his name on us. Think about this. First thing, when you call on his name, he puts his name on you. And I was thinking about this this week. What makes you, you? I guess I could give you a, a, a survey. You could check the box. Male or female? Republican or Democrat? Asian, Caucasian, Hispanic, black? Yankees or Mets? Giants or Jets, Knicks or Nets. What makes you, you? What is your fundamental sense of self? Who am I? The great question of all philosophy. Seth is born. He calls on the name of the Lord. And we learn from Scripture that this becomes the basis of his identity. So that, for example, you see it in the back of your sermon outline, Isaiah 44, verse 5, is this very identity. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. What's that, that, that great prophecy telling us? This is how people should understand themselves. Write it on your own hand. The Lord's. One of my best friends in high school decided not to go to college. He decided to go work for a bank. He applied for a job as a teller at Mellon Bank in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He had his interview, and I called him up that evening. I said, how'd the interview go, Tommy? And he said, I don't know. I sat down with the interviewer and he said, tell me about yourself. I took a deep breath, Tommy said. 
And I said, well, if you really want to know who I am, the most significant thing about me is that I am a Christian. Now, this is an 18-year-old kid who didn't know any better. He was just so excited about his faith in the Lord that it just, he says it just came right out. And he did get the job, and he had a fantastic career at Mellon Bank, rising in the corporate uh, ladder. What was his sense of identity? It was as though it was, he looked on his hand, and his hand said, The Lord's, the name of the Lord is on me. And in the book of Acts, it says they were called Christians. That's what they became known as. They were called Christians. What is that? Little Christs. That is your identity. More than Republican, Democrat, male, female, young, old, black, white, I am a Christian. Because the name of the Lord is upon you. And then you call on the name of the Lord, it says, to deliver you from the sin and misery of this life. Let's be honest. You heard me pray. There is so much misery in this world. Eighty people murdered in Nigeria on Friday. Sixty people murdered in Iraq on Friday. Four tremendous soldiers of our armed forces murdered in Chattanooga. I think a fifth has a... Did we hear that a fifth has now died from the wounds he sustained? In Egypt, seven or eight killed on Friday. There is misery. There is sin in this world. What does it look like to call on the name of the Lord? My favorite example of this is blind Bartimaeus in the New Testament. Do you know the story in Mark chapter 10? This character named Bartimaeus, he can't see. He's obviously in poverty. He's by the side of the road. And it says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving, Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying, take heart. He is calling you. Get up. Let's go. And he is a picture for us of someone who calls on the name of the Lord in his misery. Do you do that? Or do you just press through life, press on? Because your dad taught you. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You look out for number one because no one else is going to look out for you anyway. You've got to take care of yourself. And that, my friends, is the American way. Well, it's not really the American way. But it is in our culture the way. Look out for number one because no one will look out for you and you just got to marshal up all the strength you can to press through. That is not what Bartimaeus does. He cries out to the Lord in the midst of his struggle, Lord, have mercy upon me. And I love the fact that it records people actually tried to stop him. Shh. Enough of the silly Jesus stuff. Please, knock it off. 
that doesn't stop him. He keeps on after Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. And then there are others who come to him, and they hear that Jesus wants him to come, and they say to Bartimaeus, come, the master is calling you. And I tell you something today, friends, in this church, we want to be like that second group of people who say to those that we love in our families, in our school, in our workplace, those people we see are struggling and they wonder, is there a God? We want to be like that second group that say, come on, come on. Let us bring you to Jesus at our women's Bible study, in our men's group on Tuesday night, in our home fellowship groups, in our youth group. Come on, come on in. Jesus is calling you. goes deeper than that because when you call on the Lord for salvation, it's talking about your eternal destiny. The book of Romans chapter 10 picks up this theme. It rises to a crescendo in Romans 10, 13. And it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know that verse? Where have you heard that verse? This call on the name of the Lord. All the way back to Seth all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and throughout the Scriptures. And what Paul's talking about in, in Romans 10 is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I read an article this week that said 15 characteristics of today's unchurched people. Long Island, 99% of the population is not engaged in a life-giving Bible-loving, evangelical church. And here's what they said in this article. Just one of the characteristics was this about the unchurched, your family members, your neighbors, your colleagues at work. They are not sure what the word Christian means. And you need to make it clear to them. Some of you have stood up front here in this church and you have told your story of how you came to faith in Christ and you always thought the word ge- Christian meant Gentile. It just meant you weren't Jewish. That's what a lot of people think it means. But in Romans 10, it speaks of the gospel as a righteousness from God that comes by faith, a righteousness by faith, that alien righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you by faith. And then he crescendos, and he says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, that is, made right with God, And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And then the crescendo, verse 13. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know what? It's not just Paul. It's Peter on the day of Pentecost. And as Peter's preaching and those those 3,000 people are converted, do you remember that day? Peter says to, to, to to the crowd in Jerusalem, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And way at the end of the book of Acts, in chapter 22, verse 16, Peter makes a plea. He says, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. There it is. 
Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? But it means more than just calling to Him in faith to be saved. For when one calls on the name of the Lord in, in, in uh, the prophets and in the, in the history of Israel, it goes much deeper. For those people are saved in order to serve. In Zephaniah 3, verse 9, if you look at that on the back of your sermon outline, the Lord says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. There it is. You're, you call the name of the Lord, and then you surrender to Him, and your life is lived in service to Him. You're saved, yes, but salvation is not just hell insurance. Okay? Salvation is not just hell insurance. There is now a renewal of our lives and the living sacrifice of ourselves given to Him. That's what Zephaniah 3 is prophesying when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you are saved to serve. How long? You know, in, in, uh, if you get drafted by the U.S. Army, they don't do that anymore. If you get drafted in Israel's army, how many years are you in the army? Two years. You sign up for the Peace Corps. You do a stent for two years. But the Christian says with Psalm 116, the song we learned earlier in the service, because he inclined his ear to me, Psalm 116, therefore I will call on him, how long? As long as I live. Let's, let's hear that. As long as I live. Oh, my friends, you should honor the senior citizens that are in this church. It's thrilling that we have so many little children. It is thrilling to me that we have so many young families and single adults, young single adults in this church. But we should honor the senior citizens of this congregation and be jealous for more of them. For they are calling on the name of the Lord closer to the end of their life than to the beginning. And they are committed, rock solid. I will name the name of the Lord. I will call on Him to deliver me from my sin and misery. I will serve Him all my days. And then, and then, they worship. And that's what Seth is really doing. Martin Luther was right. It was the announcement, maybe Adam and Eve had worshipped with Seth before, but it is the first recorded announcement of the worship of the covenant people of God. There at the end of chapter 4, with Lamech's song on Z100, singing in the background, right? He's boasting in his immorality. He's reveling in his violence. And they come apart, and they sing to the Lord and call on his name. You know, the New Testament tells us, John 4, 23, that God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and truth. That's what God desires from you. He desires your worship. He desires our worship. Psalm 95 says, Come, oh, let's, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us, let us, let us. It's not just your own private spirituality. It is us together. 
eager to gather on the Lord's day, like the people who visited us last week, and to lift up the name of the Lord and call on His name. There is a sense of exhilaration. You think you were at a Giants football game if you went to an Old Testament worship service with shouts of joy. Can we be like that? Acts 2, the same thing. They, 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 they're just so thrilled. Everyone was filled with awe, reverent worship, with glad and sincere hearts, passionate worship. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Will you call on his name? And then the third point is this. We teach our children and grandchildren to call on the name of the Lord. Moms and dads, the hardest and most important job you have is not just to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It is not just to be the chauffeur. The most important job you have is to raise your children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. That's Ephesians 6, 4. To raise them. Oh, You see, Seth, it doesn't say that Seth just called on the name of the Lord. It says, and Seth had a son and named him Enosh. Anybody here named Enosh? Probably not. Enosh in Hebrew means mortal and frail. Frail. Mortal. Lamech is boasting in his greatness. In great contrast, Seth knows the dependence of, human, of humanity. Seth knows that he and his children are frail and mortal, and they must call on the name of the Lord. They're under no illusions that they're going to live forever, that they can handle life on their own. No, Enosh, frail one, we must call on the name of the Lord. And so he's going to teach his son how to pray. He's going to teach his son how to sing to the Lord. He's going to teach his son how to call on the name of the Lord, and his son's going to watch him, and his son's going to imitate him. And he's going to raise him to call on the Lord. What happens, moms and dads, if we don't do this? Most, one of the worst verses in the Bible, Judges 2, verse 10. Judges 2, verse 10. Terrible verse of the Bible. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. That verse is a terrible verse because the parents knew the Lord. Parents knew what God had done. And then another generation arises, and they did not know. They didn't even know. See, that's why the article I quoted from is really very timely for us, because the people on your street really don't know what it is to be Christian. A generation has arisen. Listen, their parents were hippies, and their grandparents were Unitarians, They don't even have the memory, the family memory. 
They didn't go to vacation Bible school. They didn't go to Sunday school. They didn't have family devotions. So, what is our strategy? What is our strategy? Are you on board with this? Pastor Tay does not just want to move his gums when he stands up here and hands out those beautifully prepared family devotional materials that we give out every quarter in the church for families to use. You don't have to use them, but use something, fathers and mothers, with your children. And then what's our strategy? Well, you should go downstairs and see the children's church and the Sunday school that's going on right here. And collectively, we are together in this. And then we have our youth group, our My High Youth Group. And they are getting to know and love each other and to know the Lord. And then, fathers and mothers, we teach them to worship. We teach our children to worship. How? By them watching us. And they see us worship. Not the outward forms, but inward in the heart. The hardest thing to teach a kid, the hardest thing to teach a kid is that worship is not something that is done to us. It's not something that is done for us. But worship is something that is done by us. When you get in the car and you're driving home, and you start asking, how good was the worship today? The answer is not, how good were the musicians or how boring was the preacher? The question is, how did I do? How did I do? That's the question. Did I call upon the name of the Lord and exalt Him? The faithful line continues through Enosh all the way down through Noah, all the way down through Abraham, all the way down through David, all the way down to the one who became like Enosh. Who is that? Who became weak? Who became mortal? The immortal dies. The immortal God, second person of the Trinity, Jesus of Nazareth, was in heaven, equal with God, and yet gave it up to come to earth, to live and then Enosh, mortal, to die for our sins on the cross. Enosh, frail one, Jesus, became weak so that you could live forever. Would you call on his name today? There are relatively few moments in your own life when you get the opportunity to say, this is the day I'm going to become a Christian. God has called me. I'm going to come to the Lord now. This might be the time for you to do it. Not because I tell you to, but like blind Bartimaeus' friends, they say, come on, get up, he's calling you. You feel that in your heart today if you've never done that? And then call on his name as long as you live. I will call upon the Lord. Let's pray together. We will call upon you, our Father. And we 